Hello, everyone, and welcome to the December 24th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foltz with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal concluded that a County of Riverside volunteer mounted posse was excluded from the employment relationship. Here's what happened in the unpublished opinion of County of Riverside versus WCAB and Sandy Taylor. Sandy Taylor was a member of a group known as the Mounted Posse Program established by the Sheriff of Riverside County. The duties of the posse are extensively prescribed in a manual prepared by the county. The mission of the posse is to assist the Sheriff's Department in its mission and operations. Prospective members are required to undergo and pass a live scan background check. Once accepted, they are trained in such functions as traffic control and crowd management, crime scene protection, dealing with the public, and first aid. Possible deployments include eyes and ears patrols at shopping centers, special events in parks, and on trails, as well as search and recovery and appearances at parades or recruiting events. On the date she was injured, applicant and her horse were undergoing additional training. The training course was a three-day event, and applicant and her horse had already gone through two days that included such horse stressors as smoke bombs, firecrackers, and walking a seesaw. Applicant felt that her horse was becoming upset and attempted to position him away from the activity so that he could recover his equanimity. The trainer instructed applicant to rejoin the group with her horse for more firecracker training. She complied. Her horse spooked at the firecrackers and applicant was thrown and suffered injuries. The workers' compensation judge found that applicant was not a covered employee. However, applicant petitioned for reconsideration, and the WCAB ruled that she was indeed entitled to benefits as a covered person. The Court of Appeal annulled the award in the unpublished opinion of the County of Riverside versus WCAB and Sandy Taylor. The board relied chiefly upon Labor Code Section 3366, which does provide for employee status to persons engaged in the performance of active law enforcement service as part of the posse comitatus or power of the county. The board's error was equating applicants' membership in the mounted posse with the posse comitatus. The concept of the posse comitatus is an ancient one, and in its simplest common law formulation reflects the duty of every citizen when called upon by the proper officer to act as part of the posse comitatus in upholding the laws of his country. Membership in an auxiliary group, which exists at least in part for ceremonial and publicity purposes, is not the same as being engaged in assisting law enforcement in any evolving and possibly precarious situation. The Court of Appeal concluded that at the time of her accident, applicant was not performing active law enforcement service as part of the posse comitatus. She was training her horse to cope with stressful situations so that she might serve in the mounted posse in various assignments. She was not providing any active law enforcement services, let alone any of those traditionally assumed by the posse comitatus, such as aiding in the apprehension of criminals. 
Instead, applicant situation is governed by Labor Code Section 3352, Subdivision I, which excludes her from the definition of employee. The code specifically excludes any person performing voluntary service for a public agency who receives no remuneration for the services other than meals, transportation, lodging, or reimbursement for incidental expenses. This precisely described applicants' position. Dozens of former NFL players are again claiming in federal court that an arbitration award barring them from seeking workers' compensation in California offends state public policy and ignores Supreme Court precedent. In two federal complaints, 49 players sued the National Football League Management Council and the Buffalo Bills, Denver Broncos, New York Giants, and Philadelphia Eagles. The players all claim they were injured or aggravated injuries while playing or practicing pro football in California. An arbitration award entered December 12th ordered the players to cease and desist from pursuing workers' compensation claims in California. The players say that the ruling stems from an arbitration provision of an expired collective bargaining agreement and must be vacated. They say the ruling is contrary to public policy, which makes it clear that a contract waiving workers' compensation benefit is illegal. Federal judges have ruled against former Chicago's Bears players and a Tennessee Titans coach who sought to collect workers' comp in California. The plaintiffs seek an order vacating the arbitration award. And now our fraud report. French drug maker Sanofi has agreed to pay $109 million to settle charges that it violated the False Claims Act by providing free drugs as a form of kickback to physicians. According to the U.S. Justice Department, the settlement resolves allegations that Sanofi submitted false average sales price reports for the drug Hylogan, a knee injection to treat arthritis, that did not account for free units distributed contingent on future purchases. Average sales prices are used to determine reimbursement rates by government health programs, such as Medicare and workers' compensation. The Justice Department said the practice caused government programs to pay inflated amounts for Hylogan and a competing product. The government claimed that Sanofi sales representatives were given thousands of free sample Hylogan syringes and used the free drug as kickbacks with a promise to provide negotiated numbers of the syringes in order to lower Hylogan's effective price. The drug maker said it has taken strong, proactive, and effective steps to address the issue and voluntarily halted the Hylogan sampling program in 2009. The settlement with the U.S. Department of Justice and several states resolves all claims arising out of the investigation. In addition to the $109 million payment, Sanofi says it expects to enter into a corporate integrity agreement with the Office of the Inspector General of the United States Department of Health and Human Services that will place its operations under enhanced scrutiny. There are no criminal charges against the company related to the Heiligan allegations. 29-year-old Gurinder Mand pleaded guilty in San Jose Federal Court to conspiracy to commit health care fraud. Mand committed, admitted 
She knowingly and willfully conspired with the former owner of Easy Step Pharmacy and others to submit false and fraudulent claims to healthcare benefit programs including Medicare, Medi-Cal, and private insurance companies. Prosecutors allege that she sought reimbursement for claims without prescriptions and fabricated prescriptions and forged signatures of physicians on prescriptions. Charges also included seeking reimbursement for the cost of durable medical equipment and related prescription medications, benefits items, and services by fabricating DME authorizations, certificates of medical necessity, and related documents, and forging the signatures of physicians and other authorized healthcare providers of beneficiaries on these documents. She was initially charged with one count of conspiracy to commit health care fraud, six counts of health care fraud, and two counts of obstruction of criminal investigation of health care investigators. Under the plea agreement, Mand pled guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit health care fraud. Mand is scheduled to be sentenced next April. The maximum statutory penalty is 10 years in prison, a fine of $250,000, or twice the gross gain or loss, whichever is the greater, a term of supervised release of three years and restitution. The prosecution is the result of a four-year investigation by the Federal Bureau of Investigation and other federal agencies. And in regulatory news, insurance carriers, along with the many stakeholders, are watching and waiting as California's workers' compensation reform law begins to take effect at the start of the new year. They are all hoping the new law achieves the savings it promises. However, uncertainty is a common word being used by carriers to describe their feelings about the law and whether it will contain costs in the state's unwieldy workers' comp system. There's much skepticism out there about the new law, especially among carriers who are operating at loss ratios that have been on the rise since the last workers' compensation reforms were ushered in by Governor Schwarzenegger in 2003 and 2004. The Workers' Compensation Rating Bureau in mid-December projected an ultimate accident year combined loss and expense ratio of 139%. Consequently, industry averages for rates charged employers per $100 of payroll have crept up, rising from $2.10 in 2009 to the current $2.56 rates. Mark Seknen, president of the Association of California Insurance Companies, thinks the best that carriers can hope for in reforms is that they slow down the increases in workers' comp costs. Otherwise, the state of workers' comp carriers in California could be headed toward a period like in the mid-1990s to the early 2000s. During that time, the California Department of Insurance was forced to take over and liquidate 31 carriers between 1997 and 2006, and the state compensation insurance fund swelled. At one point, the state fund was writing over 50% of the total market. Sectnan is concerned that while benefit increases are set to occur, some of the cost savings elements of the new law will require regulations to be written this year and next year, and those regulations are open to lawsuits that could end up eating into any savings that are projected. 
Mark Wilhelm, Chief Executive Officer of St. Louis, Missouri-based Safety National Casualty Corporation, is doubtful the potential savings will be as high as the backers of the new law believe. Safety National writes a great deal of excess workers' comp business in California. Mark Webb, Vice President and General Counsel of Thousand Oaks, California-based Pacific Compensation Insurance Company, is in the glass-is-half-full type. Webb believes the reforms will yield some savings. Without the reforms, the rate increases over the next few years that employers are now saying would be much higher, he said. However, at least one notable carrier early offered an endorsement of the new law by dropping rates. The State Compensation Insurance Fund in early October announced a 7% decrease in its 2013 rates. In December, the California Department of Insurance received 60 workers' comp filings from carriers. Almost all were rate increases, nearly half of which were for 5% or greater. Filings for previous months were similar, in that most all insurers were raising rates or holding them steady. When a Southern California family was convicted of workers' compensation insurance premium fraud, it wasn't due to sophisticated software, a supercomputer, or even high-tech surveillance techniques. According to Marianne Lazernick, the program manager of the State Compensation Insurance Fund Special Investigation Unit, it was a result of good old-fashioned detective work. Lazernick has 25 years' experience in the insurance industry, where she developed expertise in the area of special investigations. Lazernick claims that in the case of the 69-year-old Jerry Buffington and 47-year-old Cynthia Russell, a father and daughter team who pled guilty in Kern County Superior Court to one count each of workers' compensation insurance premium fraud and eight counts each of tax invasion, it was literally good old-fashioned footwork that caught the perpetrators. Buffington was the owner and president of Bakersfield-based Safe Home Incorporated, and Buffington's daughter, Cynthia Russell, was the chief financial officer. In 2007, State Fund discovered Safe Home Inc. was underreporting their employee payroll to avoid paying the proper premium. An audit was completed and indicated that Safe Home Incorporated had failed to pay the proper premiums for their workers' comp policy in the amount of nearly $500,000. Additionally, State Fund determined the business was operating out of its classification and related payroll was never reported to either State Fund or the EDD. Lazarnik said that when looking at a claim, auditors are trained to look for oddities or facts that don't look right. The State Fund auditor just did that and found some things that were questionable, so she physically went out and visited the account. There she discovered that workers who were supposed to be installing alarms were actually working as roofers, a higher-risk class that justifies a higher work comp insurance rate. The Kern County District Attorney's Office prosecuted the case. Buffington and Russell were ordered to pay restitution to the state fund in the amount of about $475,000, as well as about $130,000 to the EDD. Both were ordered to serve 10 years probation. To make Lazarnik's method work, the state fund employees undergo hours of training to spot fraud. The program teaches the staff to detect the typical red flags. 
These flags include noticing when an injured worker is not making medical appointments or some pieces of information in a medical report that can indicate that an injury is not as severe as what is being claimed. Even though she takes the old-school approach to investigations, Lazarnik and her unit is embracing advances in technology. And in regulatory news, the Division of Workers' Compensation Audit Unit has posted on its website the forms claims administrators can use for the required 2013 Annual Report of Inventory for claims reported in calendar year 2012. The regulations require claims administrators to file an annual report of inventory with the number of claims reported at each adjusting location for the preceding calendar year. The report must be filed with the DWC Administrative Director by April 1st of each year, even if there were no claims reported in the prior year. In 2011, the audit unit began requesting the Federal Employee Identification Number for each adjusting location and for all underwriting companies and or clients for which claims are administered at the given location. A claims administrator's obligation to submit an ARI can be waived if the administrative director determines that they are in compliance with electronic data reporting requirements of the Workers' Compensation Information System. The Federal Employees Identification Number will be used by the DWC Research Unit to match claims information submitted electronically to the WCIS with that reported to the Audit Unit on the ARI. This will allow the Administrative Director to waive ARI requirements for claims administrators as appropriate. When ARI requirements are waived, claims administrators must still file an annual report of adjusting locations. The DWC has provided a form which can be used for this purpose. Claims administrators are also required to report any change in the information reported in the ARI or annual report of adjusting location within 45 days of the effective date of the change. The Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation announced the release for public comment of the working paper on the impact of experience rating on small employers. Would lowering the threshold for experience rating improve safety? This was prepared by RAND for Cheswick. The working paper focuses on the loss experience of small firms in California when they become experience rated and provides insights about the prospect that lowering the threshold for experience rating would have on safety outcomes at these small firms. Cheswick is charged with examining the health and safety and workers' compensation systems in California and recommending administrative or legislative modifications to improve their operation. Information about the working paper is available online, as is further information about Cheswick. And in other news, the WCIRB Governing Committee promoted Dave Belusky to the newly created position of Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer. He will report to the WCIRB President and CEO Bill Mudge. Mr. Mudge congratulated Dave on this well-deserved promotion. His leadership and his dedication to the WCIRB's mission over the years have made a big impact on the California workers' compensation community. He is a great member of the WCIRB's executive leadership team. Mr. Belusky will continue to serve as the WCIRB's chief actuary and will retain responsibility for all actuarial and rate-making functions. 
In addition, he is now responsible for the WCIRB's core operational functions, including experience rating, unit statistical policy and medical data reporting, and financial accounting. Mr. Belusky is a fellow of the Casualty Actuary Society and a member of the American Academy of Actuaries. He is widely respected within the California workers' compensation community and regularly presents, uh, represents the WCIRB at legislative or administrative hearings. He is also a frequent speaker on California workers' compensation-related issues. And with that, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your iPod by searching for the WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.